Hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're in a passage of Scripture, probably one of the most uh, important passages uh, in all of this letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8 begins a new section. It's a new section within the same topic. Remember, Paul is writing to the church about salvation. He's been talking about salvation ever since chapter 3, verse 21. And he basically said in relationship to this issue of salvation that when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you've been justified. You've been declared righteous before God. And then we found over in verses 6 and 7, Paul began to talk about not only justification but sanctification. Sanctification just simply means that you were set apart in Jesus Christ, but there are three tenses to your sanctification. Paul called it holiness. Your holiness has three parts. The first part is when you got saved and justified, that is God declared you righteous, He set you apart, He sanctified you. And over the course of your holiness, your walk with Jesus Christ, is you are continuing to be more and more like Jesus Christ. One day, you'll be ultimately saved from the very presence of sin when you find yourself in the presence of God through Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed on Calvary's cross. Thank God for that. He's talked about justification. He's talked about sanctification. But now here's the third point that he wants to point out in relationship to salvation. And that is preservation. Preservation. What is preservation? Preservation is the security of the believer. It is the security of the believer. That is to say, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, the fact of the matter is simply this, dear friend, listen. You don't have to get saved over and over and over and over again. If salvation is Jesus' business, then Him keeping you saved is also His business. And Paul wants the church at Rome to clearly understand what is the number one factor in relationship to the preservation of the saints. It is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of you as a born-again child of God. Now, this is to the church. He's speaking to the church. If you're born again, you have Jesus Christ living inside of your heart. The Holy Spirit's been deposited inside of you. And listen, you can live, dear friend, with abundant life, abundant Christian living. little boy was out flying his kite one day, and... As he was flying his kite, it was a windy day. And that kite just kept getting higher, higher, and higher, and higher. And as he was flying that kite on that public property, a man walked by, and the little boy was just holding the string. Couldn't even see the kite, it was so high. The man walked by and said, Son, I have a question for you. What are you holding on to? He said, Sir, that's my kite up there as he's holding it. He says, Are you sure there's a kite up there? I don't see it. He said, Yes, sir. I know there's a kite up there. The way I know there's a kite up there is because I can feel it. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. The Holy Spirit, you may not can see Him, but there ought to be a sense that He's at work in your life. And as that sense that He's at work in your life, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you and goads that conscience whenever you do wrong. That's why as a Christian, you can't get away with anything. You can try, but you can't do it. You can't get away with it. Why? The Holy Spirit goads you. And so when you get to Romans chapter number 8, you'll find that it begins with no condemnation. It will end with no separation. 
And in between, the first and the last, he's going to talk about how there's no defeat for the Christian. We are born again children of the King. We are winners. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. So within us is living the Holy Spirit of God. And as the Holy Spirit of God dwells and lives inside of us, we can know as a believer we're saved and we're secure in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm so confident in what the Word of God says about salvation. I'm so saved I could swing over hell on a dry corn stalk. I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ does the saving. He does the sealing. He will save you and you are secure in Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says beginning in chapter 8, verse number 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that uh, are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwell in you. Therefore, brethren, be ye debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the spirit do mortify the deeds of this body, ye shall Live. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God this morning. Paul is talking about the indwelling Spirit of God that inhabits every born-again Christian. And as he talks about this issue of preservation, I want you to notice with me how Paul teaches we are preserved in Christ Jesus. The first thing that he points out is this. As a Christian... We have a new logic. As a Christian, we have a new logic. We find this in verses 1 through 4. In the first four verses of this passage of Scripture, he tells us that we think a different way. We don't think the way that we used to. Before Jesus Christ, the logic was to keep the law, make animal sacrifices, and await the Messiah to come. All things that were done were done in the flesh. But now, for those of us who've been justified, for those of us that have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, 
We have a new logic, a logic that will help us in our daily struggles, as Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7. A logic that it involves walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Notice how Paul teaches this. The first thing he talks about logically is this. As a born-again child of God, there is no condemnation by God. There is no condemnation by God. Look at what the text says, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. The first thing he says is, there is therefore now. Now let me stop right there. Here we find in this passage of Scripture some very important words that are beating our attention, calling us to see what he's talking about. He says in the text, there is therefore now. Whenever you see the word therefore, you must always ask yourself the question, what is that therefore, therefore? What is that therefore, therefore? In relationship to the context of Romans, you'll notice that Paul is taking us all the way back to chapter number 3 in verse number 21. That's where he's starting. He says, from that point up until Romans chapter 8 verse 1, I want you to think about what I've just said. And, and what does he say? Well, he summed it up, if you will, in chapter number 3 in verse number 24. In chapter 3 verse 24, Paul summed up the teaching on justification by saying this, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He wants you to think about that. And then the second thing he wants you to think about, he says, I want you to think about the relationship of your sanctification. He summed that up in chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. In chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, notice what he says. He says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Or remember, your members are your bodies. He says, do not yield your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. He's going to talk about more of this in chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, as a born-again Christian, we are to present our bodies a living what? Sacrifice. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, you may be sitting here as a guest. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're saying, do what? God wants me to do what? Yes, friend. God wants you as a born-again child of God. He wants you, first of all, to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But number two, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice to God. He says, this is your reasonable service. The word service there in Romans 12, 1 is giving us the idea of living in an area of worship every single day of our lives. And so he tells us here in summing up this issue of sanctification that we are to yield ourselves to God as unto those that are alive from the dead and your members or your bodies as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, here it is, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul wants us to think about the capacity of the saving work of Jesus Christ. He justified us, declared us righteous. He sanctified us, set us apart. We were buried in the likeness of His death and raised in the likeness of His resurrection. He says because of this, there is no more condemnation from God. The word condemnation is a very fascinating word in chapter number 
uh, chapter 8, verse 1. The word condemnation gives us the idea of feeling guilt. Guilt is one of the most powerful emotions that's known to man. In fact, there are schools of psychology that say that guilt is the single greatest cause of mental and emotional disorders. All of us know how powerful guilt is. We all know that the power of guilt has the power to influence our actions. It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find this out. Just ask a 13-year-old Girl Scout by the name of Elizabeth Brighton. She sold 11,200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. They asked her, how did you sell all those cookies? She looked the man in the eye and she said this, quote, you have to look people in the eye and you got to make them feel guilty. <laughs> Guilt's a powerful thing. As a matter of fact, I read a story this week of a, of a, uh, of a, a, a bag that you could buy. The Associated Press had reported that there were 2,500 kits sold and the bag was called Disposable Guilt Bags. Said you could buy this guilt bag for $2.50. It was a brown paper sack. You were to take that sack, put it over your mouth, and scream at the top of your lungs, seal up the sack, and then throw it away as quickly as possible. That little thing sold 2,500 kits. Guilt is a very serious thing. Thinking about guilt, I heard another story about a man who owed the IRS a lot of money, and he wrote him a letter. He, he wrote the IRS a letter, and within the letter was enclosed a check for $150. And it, and it read, enclosed, you will find a check for $150. I, I cheated on my income tax last year, and I, I haven't been able to sleep ever since. If I'm still unable to sleep, I'll send you the rest in the mail later. <laughs> Guilt is a powerful thing. The word condemnation here in the text is only found twice in the New Testament. It's found here in this passage of Scripture, and it's found again in Romans chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. It's a very special word referring to the punishment that comes as a result of being declared guilty. Brothers and sisters, remember, as a born-again child of God, God has made a declaration on you. But it's not guilty. You have been declared righteous. And so Paul says there is no condemnation. As a matter of fact, the word condemnation literally means damnable sentence. Damnable sentence. You have not been sentenced to the damned. That is to say, you can't go to hell. God is not going to condemn you. We don't have to fear that God's going to punish our sin. He already took care of our sin on Calvary. Dear brothers and sisters, God is not only, not only, did, he not not only did he take care of our sin at Calvary, God also is not sitting up in heaven with his finger on the smite button just ready to drop a, 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 a piano on your head. He's not doing that. No, listen, he loves you. He cares for you. You are his child. You're one of his own. You've been bought with a price. You don't have to fear that you stand in jeopardy of slipping out into hell somewhere. I've met people all across the world. You say, you ever been saved? Yeah, man, I've been saved when I was 6, 12, 15, 32, 46, 69, and 72. Yes, I'm saved. Listen, 
You don't have to keep getting saved. Once you're saved, bless God, you're secure in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear that you're going to stand in jeopardy of slipping into hell. Because Jesus died for you if you're a born-again child of God. He bore the full weight of your punishment. Uh, This truth should once and for all set at rest the plague of guilt. You see, guilt has two sides to it. Guilt has a legal side and an emotional side. In relationship to the legal side of guilt, guilt is one standing in relationship to the law. If you've kept the law, you're innocent. But if you've broken the law, you're guilty. Bless God, I know about this. I drive. Guilty. Guilty. Been pulled over more than I want. Don't mean to. Can't help it. I'm not blaming anybody but myself. I broke the law. Guilty. The legal side of guilt is that I must stand before judgment. And it's the judge's business in regarding his ruling whether I'm guilty or not. If the speed limit says 65 and I'm going 85 and I get caught, or even if I don't get caught, I still broke the law. If I do get caught, I'm guilty. And the legal side of guilt will pronounce a judgment on me. By the way, just let me go ahead and tell you, if you're doing uh, 85 over in the HOV lane without somebody else in the car with you, it'll cost you about $350. I'm just telling you. So how do you know? I've experienced it. And look, I've tried. They will not take the Holy Spirit was riding with me as an answer. <laughs> I've tried that too. Nope. There's a legal side to guilt. Number two, let me show you this. There's also an emotional side to guilt. There's an emotional side to guilt. This emotional side of guilt is something completely different. This is your personal sense of having violated the law. It's the emotional response to being wrong. In other words, if you feel guilty because you are guilty and being guilty, then you know that you deserve some kind of punishment. Now, here's where grace comes in. Don't, don't lose me on this. Oh, this is somebody who gets set free if you'll listen to this today. If you're a brother and sister in Jesus Christ, then your sin was fully and finally paid for by Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And since you're no longer guilty, there's no room for guilty feelings. Now, now hang in there with me just a minute. Hang in there with me just a minute. There are some Christians who struggle with lingering and persistent feelings of guilt after they've received Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of God. There's believers out there. They know. Listen, you say, have you been born again? Yes. Have you been saved? Yes. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? I don't care how you pose the question. The answer is yes. Yes, I have done that. But, let me illustrate it this way. But, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I deserve, I deserve God's punishment because I was so bad. I'm saved. I know Jesus as my Savior. But I was so bad. I was so bad. 
that I deserve the punishment that God gives me. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Because I love my children, I discipline them. Because you are a child of God and you love Jesus Christ, He's going to discipline you. There will be some discipline if you're going to be a Christian. But there will never, ever be punishment. You must distinguish the two. We get folks, though, that confuse the two, and they, they, and they just really, they, they really, really struggle. Let me, let me just think about this for a minute. Th- think about this. You say, well, I just deserve the punishment that God gives me because I've been such a bad person. Then how about this? Do you seriously think that you could really go to the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth and he took on the sins of the world? He took on our sins. And as he's dying, he says, Tetelestai. You know what that means in the Greek? It is finished. And then you step, raise your hand and go, Oh, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. Wait. No. No, it wasn't. You don't know how bad I was. Don't make any sense, does it, brother? When Jesus said, it is finished, he took all of your sin. And he absorbed it and put it upon him. As the sinless son of God, he became the sacrifice. He took our place. On Calvary. And when he said it is finished. It doesn't matter how, how awful a person you were. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. It doesn't matter. So you mean to tell me if Jeffrey Dahmer. You know who Jeffrey. How many know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? Okay. For those of you who don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is. He, he, used, he was a, a, a serial killer. He ate people. That's disgusting. But if Jeffrey Dahmer truly heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and truly fell under conviction of his sin and he truly got saved, then God took his sin and put them upon himself at Calvary and died in Jeffrey Dahmer's place. Say, I don't understand it. That's what grace is. He said, you mean to tell me God loves me no matter what? On a scale of 1 to 10, you're pegging 11 and 12. He loves you that much. His love for you is so overwhelming. God put it this way. God the Father said, For God so loved the world. There's some wicked people in this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What Paul is talking about here in relationship to this issue of no condemnation, he's talking to the church, he's saying, listen, church, because you have been justified, because you have been sanctified, because the Spirit of God has been planted inside of you, there is now no punishment for your sin. Is there discipline? Yes. Is there punishment? No. 
Look at what he says there in the text. Verse number one, let's go on. He says, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that Paul has got this thing where he is always saying Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. There's a reason why he's saying that. He's not, he's not saying Jesus Christ for a reason. He's saying Christ Jesus. Now, wait a minute. So I, let, me, let me deal with something because you might be looking at, some of you looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Listen to me very carefully. I know some of your versions have got a little note, and in that note it says in the oldest manuscripts, this passage of Scripture is not found in the oldest manuscript. You see that there? Okay. That, that N-U, you see the N-U, capital N, capital U, that is the Alexandrian Greek text, all right? Now, I know I'm deep right here. With, listen, as pastor, I love you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I do not hold to the Alexandrian text, all right? I hold to the textus receptus. I always have. Now, listen to me. You guys know me. You know my heart. And if you're here thinking, oh, wait a minute, he's a King James guy. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. I love you with all my heart. I wouldn't hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I definitely don't want to embarrass you. But as God is my witness, I want to preach truth without any mixture of error. In the Texas Receptus, this phrase is there. In the Alexandrian text, it is not. It's so vitally important where they found that Greek text. I don't trust anything that's found in the trash can. Can I get a witness right there? So I believe the Word of God, every jot, every tittle, everything is true. And when the Scripture says right there in the text that we which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, it's in the Bible, and I believe it. Can I get an amen right there? All right. So he says there in the text, he says this. He says, which are in Christ Jesus. The word Christ is not Jesus' first name, and it's not his last name. He's not Jesus Christ. He's not Christ first name, Jesus middle name. No, it's not, that's not what it, how this thing operates. It does in the West, and when I say West, I'm not talking about Texas. I'm talking about uh, in the world. We live in the Western culture. In the West, what we do here is we call each, each uh, other by three names. Our, I'm Dustin Shane Robertson. If you're blessed in the South, you're called by your middle name. I don't know why parents would do that. And I said, I'd never do it to my kids, and I'd be John Brown if I didn't do the same thing to my children. So many of when I call you, you'll answer the phone. You well, Dustin, I didn't know who was calling me. It said Dustin Robertson. Yeah, that's me. If you get a call from Dustin Robertson, it's me. It's Dustin Shane Robertson. My mother was 16. She had just turned 16 years old, just turned 16 when she had me. Bless God. And, and the fact of the matter is simply this. In regards to uh, the fact that uh, she called me Dustin Shane, she called me Dustin out of Dustin Hoffman. Oh, Lord, help me. It wouldn't be so bad as to what the number one movie was in 1974 in the year that I was born. You know what the number one movie from Dustin Hoffman in 1974 was? Yeah, Tootsie. <laughs> Jesus. Mama, what were you thinking? She said, I just, I just like the name. And then, well, Shane, where did that come from? How many of you seen the old Western movie, Shane? All right, all the old people. Come home, Shane. I've heard it my whole life. Come home, Shane. So if I call you and it says, Dustin, it's me, okay? Just answer the phone. Hey, preacher, that would suffice right there. So he says here in the text, notice again. Boy, I'm glad you came today. He says that we are in Christ Jesus. Christ 
is a title. Christ is a title. That title, Christ, means Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. So the anointed one, how was he anointed? He was anointed as God's son who died on Calvary for our sins. His name was Jesus. Jesus, as was predicted in the Old Testament. He says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the Spirit, or who not, walk not after the flesh, excuse me, but after the Spirit. As born-again children of God, we don't walk after our fleshly, lustly, lustful desires. We walk after the Spirit. What's the Spirit in reference to? The Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. So where's the no condemnation? The no condemnation is for those that have received Jesus Christ as Messiah, that is, repented of their sin, trusted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They have been uh, anointed by the anointed one, by the blood of Jesus, and there is no punishment for them. Number two, the second thing I want you to notice. Not only is there no condemnation uh, by God, but there is no, they are no longer controlled by sin. We are no longer controlled by sin. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. Follow along with me really quickly. The Bible says in verse number 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see that? For the law of the Spirit, He's the Spirit of life, who are in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer controlled by sin. The Bible uses the term free. That means to be released. Uh, the term law, sin, and death was covered in Romans chapter 7 extensively. And in Romans chapter 7, he talked about this issue that the things that I want to do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this wretchedness, this life that I'm living? He says, Jesus, I thank God for Jesus. Jesus is the one that saved us. And through his salvation and imparting of the Holy Spirit of God, we are now not controlled by the flesh, but we are controlled by the Spirit. He gives us this, inter, this inner uh, teaching, if you would, on that who controls us now. We are no longer controlled by the law, the law of the flesh. Uh, the law of this world. We are controlled by the law of God in relationship to the Spirit as the Spirit has saved us. Number three, let me show you a third thing. Not only are we no longer condemned by God, no longer controlled by sin, but then there's a third thing right here. We got this new logic, and that is we're no longer continuing in sin. We are no longer continuing in sin. Look at what the Bible says in verse 3 and 4. He says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after 
the Spirit. He keeps emphasizing this fact that we're walking after the Spirit. And as we walk after the Spirit, we have this new logic. This new logic is we're not condemned by God. We're not controlled by sin. And we're not continuing in sin. The key phrase there is found in verse number 4 where it says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is, their life is marked by obedience to the Holy Spirit, not by obedience to the flesh. So you're a born-again child of God, and as you're walking through this life, and I know we've talked about this before, we talked about the fact that we might be uh, driving down the road, and somebody might cut us off, and as they cut us off, we get aggressive, and we get angry, we get mad, and we might say something, we might do something that we would do in our flesh, and there's a check in our spirit. That's the Holy Spirit goading you. And as the Holy Spirit goads you, he's saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. And so we've got to clearly understand that walking in the Spirit means that this course that we're on, this course, the direction of our life, the progress of one's life direction is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. It's important to note that in our holiness, when we were saved and secure and set apart and walking in Jesus and growing up in Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus, we're going to mess up. That's why John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is a matter of listening to the Spirit. Can I ask you this question, friend? What's the Spirit of God saying to you? I've seen God do amazing work in our congregation. I've seen God set people free from unforgiveness. I've seen God set people free from anger. And it's not because of some song they heard or not because of some message that they heard. But it is sheer application of the Word of God. And applying the Word of God to their lives. As a born-again child of God, you cannot hold a grudge and get away with it. As a born-again child of God, you can't stay angry and get away with it. As a born-again child of God, you can get frustrated. But in that frustration, you can sin, but you cannot get away with it. You will be eat up by the fact that the Spirit of God is goading you to get right with God. You see, it's not trampling over the grace of God. Again, it's this act in, of, of discipline that God disciplines those that He loves. There is no condemnation. You'll never go to hell. But there is discipline. And in relationship to the discipline that God gives to us, He wants to make us more and more and more into the image of of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, there's a new logic that we need to have as believers. And then he goes to a second thing very quickly in verses 5 through 13. He says, not only as a believer do we have a new logic, we don't think the same way we used to as Christians. As a Christian, we think differently. But we also have as a Christian, as a believer, we have a new leader we have a new leader. In verse 5 through 13, he talks about this new leader that we follow. You see, Romans chapter 8 is dominated by the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is mentioned no less than 19, 19 times in Romans chapter 8. This new leader in the life of a believer is the Holy Spirit of God, not the flesh. We don't follow the flesh anymore. We don't react towards the flesh anymore. I had someone stop me, pull me aside, and they said, Pastor, I don't want to act the way that I'm acting. I know that I'm a Christian. I feel bad every single time I respond and react with that negative behavior or with that anger. I don't want to live this way anymore. Well, then follow the leader. Follow the leader. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And what is the Holy Spirit telling you? He's telling you, as a born-again child of God, to let him have control. Because the fact of the matter is, we cannot live the Christian lifestyle. We can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to do it through us. As a matter of fact, Paul picks up on this, and he tells us here, he points out three areas of our life that this new leader should control. Number one, the Holy Spirit should control the mind. The Holy Spirit should control the mind. Look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse number five. He tells us there, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are of the Spirit, it's implied here, they mind the things of the Spirit. You see that there? The Holy Spirit wants to control your mind. You know where the battleground, that where the devil loves to wreak havoc? Is in your mind. You see, that the devil knows he can't take your soul. He knows that there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. So what does he try to do? He tries to get in your head. And bless God, if he can get in your head and tell you how terrible you are, how awful you are, how, how difficult you are to deal with, and how God cannot love you, and how you're beyond growing in Jesus Christ, if he can defeat you, he's going to defeat you in the mind. And so we find here in the text that Paul is encouraging the church. He says, listen, I want you to be controlled by the Spirit. Put your mind on, not on the flesh, but put your mind on the things of God. This is such a wonderful teaching. John uh, obviously uh, picked up on this in his gospel when he talked about the helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our parakletos. He is the one that is our counselor. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. He is our helper. He's the one by which we listen to as he dwells inside our hearts. And as he dwells inside our hearts, we must clearly understand that our mind, we cannot give ground to the devil. We cannot give the mind, the ground that's in our mind. We cannot give that to the devil. Why? Well, Paul illustrates it. He illustrates the outcome of this issue of it being death. If we let the, the flesh control us as a born-again child of God. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says in verse number 7, because if the carnal mind is at enmity, that is war, the carnal mind is at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God if you're in the flesh. Paul, Paul is simply saying here that there's these two uh, beings that are at work inside of you there's the spirit man and there's the flesh man and the spirit man and the flesh man are doing battle every single day and every day you've got to wake up in the morning put on your armor and you got to say i'm walking after the spirit of god and i'm not going to be able to do it by myself 
I'm dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you to control my thoughts, control my mind. Help me to think the right things. Help me to get rid of stinking thinking. Brothers and sisters, listen to me very carefully. God does not make junk. Man, I'm telling you what, if there's anybody that could be down in the mouth and a poor, pitiful me, it'd be me. Born of a teenage girl in Alabama. Don't say amen right there, please, for heaven's sakes. Daddy didn't have one, was adopted, missing teeth, ignorant. I may have shared this with you before. I can remember struggling when I went into the sixth grade. Struggling bad. Had this spelling test. I didn't study for I didn't study for anything. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know what studying was. Bless God, my mama loved me, and she gave me everything that she had, and everything that she had was love. But when it comes to education... I was a few fries short of a Happy Meal. I'll never forget it. I had a teacher by the name of Miss Geiger. She can't be good with a name like that. Now, wait a minute. If you're Geiger, I didn't mean anything negative by that. Miss <laughs> Geiger came up to me and she said, I need to see you after class. So I came up there after class. Had a big old F on my spelling test. She said, you don't know what you're doing. She said, I'm sending you over there to Miss Cornuck. There's another fun name. Miss Cornuck, who's that? Well, she's the special ed teacher. So she got me over there, and I went on over there to Miss Cornuck like I was supposed to, and I sat down. Miss Cornuck put her arm around me. She asked me a few questions, too, told me a few things. She got me up out, and she put me back to Miss Geiger's class. I mean, I felt like a tennis ball going back and forth. She put me back in the class. She said, Miss Geiger, this boy don't need to be in no special class. He just needs somebody to teach him. Miss Geiger looked at me and looked at her and said, I ain't got time for that. We're putting him back in fifth grade. Had a big meeting with my parents. Next week, I found myself sitting in the seat in the fifth grade class. As Dustin Shane Robertson sat there, school's already been started. It started a long time ago. All my friends are up in that other class. Here I am. I just got put back. I'm sitting there. And the teacher walks out of the room. Immediately, it's my very first day, immediately, tap on my shoulder. I turn around. There was a man I'd never, a boy I'd never met before. His name, Eddie Thacker. Eddie Thacker threw his arm up on the desk like this right here. He said, arm wrestle me, boy. <laughs> so I, I, I got him. I said, oh, okay. So I turned around. And we went to arm wrestling. I had him almost beat. And behind him was another boy by the name of Travis Walden. Travis was a minion. You ever seen that movie, Minion? He was a minion. He was Travis's minion. And he told, old Tra he told me and that whole, he says, he said, Shane, he said, if you don't let Eddie win, he's going to beat you up after school. He's going to beat you up after school. He's going to be, oh, he's going to beat you up after school. Well, I got to thinking about it. 
Now, Eddie was worse than I was. I was only put back once. He's put back twice. So I gave up and let Eddie win. And I can remember feeling so defeated and so irritated, like nobody cared and nobody loved me, that I'm dumb, I'm stupid. And I'll never forget one day. I was lost, didn't know Jesus. I played football, peewee football. And I was playing peewee football on this particular day, and after practice, I heard my name. Shay! Robertson! Yeah, you, come over here. And I went walking up to the fence, and there was a man standing there. He had on blue shorts and a white shirt. Had a little logo on it said Kusa. I said, can I help you? He said, Shane, he said, you don't know me. He said, my name is Charles Nails. I am the head football coach at Kusa, a Christian, uh, just right over the way here. He said, I've been coming to your practices and I've been watching your games. And He said, son, you ain't big as a minute. If you go over here to Gaston High School where you're at school at right now, he said, you ain't never going to play a down. You'll never play. You're too little. you got to run around the shower to get wet. You're just scrawny. But you're feisty, and I like that. If you'll come play for me, you'll play every down, both sides of the ball, even the kicking team. You'll play the whole game if you'll come play for me. You know what I heard that day? Somebody wants me. Somebody wants me. I talked to my mom and dad, Lo and behold, I found myself that next week at a school called Kusa Christian. Now, don't you listen to me very carefully. Because it was at that school where I met Jesus. I heard another call in my life. Someone called my name, and it was Jesus. As a 14-year-old boy, I heard a message similar to the message you're hearing right now. How that Jesus took my sin, took my place on Calvary, died and rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he wants all men to be saved. Listen, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I'd done things wrong. I was awful. I had a terrible mouth. Oh, I was just, I was a sinner. Oh, I was guilty. And I was headed for punishment. I knew that if I died, I'd go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. So that day, I can remember coming forward in an invitation. And I gave my hand to my principal. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. From that day forward, I'd never been the same since. Oh, by the way, let me tell you this too. I had a teacher that met me. Her name was Catherine Logan. She is a precious woman. She was saved. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. She started every class with prayer and Bible reading. Actually, she had a Bible study for us just about every single day. I took a couple of tests in her class, and she called me up one day. and She said, Shane, are you okay? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm fine. She said, has anybody ever taught you how to study? I said, no, ma'am. She said, could you come back after class and let me help you? And from that moment forward, that teacher taught me how to study, how to be a better reader, how to be a better test taker how to do right. God took a nobody and turned him into a somebody that wants to tell everybody about Jesus.
Oh, listen to me very carefully. When I say I'm a somebody, I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean, if I want to be down in the mouth, I could be down in the mouth. If you want to be down in the mouth, you can be down in the mouth. You might be in a worse case than I am. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Jesus loves you so much, he didn't make junk. So what can I bring to Jesus? You can bring him yourself. The Holy Spirit wants to control our mind. The Holy Spirit should control our motives. Did you see that, verse 8 and 9? Verse 8 and 9, the Holy Spirit should control our motives. So then, that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God. Why? Because your motives are fleshly. But ye are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of him. The point that he's making here in the text is you are born again. You are a born-again child of God, and the Holy Spirit ought to control your mind. He ought to control your motives. And here's the last one. The Holy Spirit ought to control your members, verses 10 through 13. The Holy Spirit ought to control your members. Listen to what uh, uh, John Phillips says. John Phillips said this, and I close. Quote, Paul wants to call our attention to the fact that Jesus was once in the place of weakness. But God raised him from the dead by the Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus is dwelling in us. While these verses primarily refer to the coming resurrection, they imply also that the Holy Spirit can give us victory over the law of our members even now. Later in the epistle, Paul demands that the believers hand over their body as living sacrifice in chapter 12, verse 1. The act of surrender is one of the most important steps to a life of victory to the believer. He desires, God desires complete sovereignty over his temple. Once he has control of the believer's body, the Spirit of God can then impact victory over sins, which involves the use of the body's members. How does he do this? How does God do this? D.L. Moody one time took an empty jar. And he took that jar and he sat it in front of the congregation. He said, can someone tell me how to get the air out of this jar? A man raised his hand and said, I know, I know, I know. He said, yes, sir. He said, if you'll put a vacuum, if you'll put a vacuum on that jar, it'll suck the air out. And D.L. Moody said, you're right, sir. But if you don't control the pressure, it will crush the container that it's in. He said a better way to get the air out of the jar is to fill it with water. D.L. Moody said, now all the air is out of the jar. And it got out of the jar because it was replaced with water. The Holy Spirit of God wants to fill you up and get rid of all of the wicked and worldliness of the flesh every single day. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying is in relationship to salvation, you have been justified by Jesus Christ. He has declared you righteous. You have been sanctified. That is, you've been sealed and set apart 
in Jesus Christ. You were saved. You are being saved as you grow closer to Jesus Christ. And one day you'll be ultimately saved as you stand before God out of the very presence of sin. But in the meantime, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed, our eyes closed this morning. I want to sp talk to believers first. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Maybe you're here today and maybe you've struggled. You've struggled with anger. You've struggled with depression. You've struggled with unforgiveness. You've struggled with all kinds of anxieties. And maybe you've just thought that all that punishment has come from God. He's punishing you. And the fact of the matter is, He may be just disciplining you to come closer to Him. Because as a child of God, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Maybe God's calling you to a closer walk with Him. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe you were like me, like a 14-year-old boy who's never received Christ as Savior. Maybe if you were to die today, you'd go to hell. And God's calling you to be safe today. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask us to stand. And as we stand, I'm going to invite those that don't know Christ as their Savior to come and to be saved. For those that are saved and maybe have been struggling with sin, why don't you come get victory today? Be filled with the Spirit of God. The Scripture tells us that we are to continually to be filled. Be ye being filled. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Whatever God's called you to today, dear friend, would you come? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to preach the gospel. Lord, I pray that if there be one here today that doesn't know the free pardon of sin, that today they'd get saved. Lord, for believers that are here today that may have been struggling with guilt, God, I pray that you would release them from that today. Lord, for those that are struggling with the sins of the flesh, I pray that they'd get freedom from that today. Thank you for what you're going to do. I pray you do what only you can in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.